0: Welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Mr. Dan Girescu. Dan's a thought leader on blockchain and digital transformation. Dan and I go down the rabbit hole. We talk about not only what's happening in Calgary from a transformation perspective, what's happening at the organizational level from small startups all the way up to enterprise level. We take a deep dive on blockchain and some of the things it can do to change the world and some common practices and transactions that we encounter every day as businesses. What role can blockchain play? What role can machine learning play? What does AI mean when it comes to -to day-to-day use in the world that surrounds us? Join me for an incredible journey with Dan as we not only talk about the role it can play in transforming Calgary, but gives us, as the listener, a really understanding of what these technologies are and where they can come to play. Join me in welcoming Dan Jurescu. Dan, thanks for joining me this morning. We've had a little bit of a pre-chat, and I know I love these 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 experiences, because I literally walk in, meet you, and then we sit down and get to have a a real heartfelt chat. So thanks for being open and uh, leaning in already this morning.
1: No, that's really exciting. Thanks for having me.
0: Dan, let's set the stage a little bit. For anyone who hasn't had the privilege and the opportunity to to meet you or hear you speak, give us a little
1: bit of who you are, what's your your connection to Calgary, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, Absolutely, thanks. So my connection to Calgary, I came here in 2008, Uh, started a few tech companies, um, scaled, sold, and kind of started again. And in 2017, I started focusing on private blockchain and artificial intelligence. And how do we deploy that into the energy market? Okay. Interesting.
0: So specifically into the oil and gas sector, bringing these new technologies in.
1: Absolutely. And, okay. and at the time, they would be considered bleeding-edge technologies. We're saying now they're kind of leading-edge. So and you said, just to that was in two,
0: 2017. 2017. So in that, that's two years ago, just for anyone who's doing the math. Yeah. Interesting. So bleeding-edge uh, is going from... So bleeding-edge into what, what's, what's Leading-edge. The- okay, Yeah. So
1: we've, we've actually quite... A, we've evolved quite rapidly, and that's very interesting, and why I chose these technologies is they are by far the fastest-moving, fastest-growing technologies that we've ever encountered, ultimately. Which is pretty unreal to see a technology go from I don't know if I ever want to do this to a complete I have to or my business will not survive
0: in less than 24 months. It's it's an, it's unreal. That is amazing. Just from an audience perspective and just never wanting to leave any gaps. Give us a quick like blockchain. Just give us a quick. What's your elevator speech on blockchain? We're in it. We got. Oh, we man. have two
1: floors to go. What's hey uh, Dan? Good to meet you. What's blockchain? I'm curious. I've heard of it, but I don't know. Hmm. So blockchain is described as two different uh, variations of it. There's private, which is ultimately for enterprise deployment. And there's public, which is the one that focuses on cryptocurrencies. So every time you heard about Bitcoin, you're really thinking public blockchain. Every time you're thinking or have heard of things like IBM, Hyperledger Fabric, and other technologies like that, they are focused on the private side. So it was always about a, a way to bridge the gap between business and consumer. And that actually had to happen in order for this concept of blockchain to ever take flight. Interesting.
0: So. And certainly, I think most of us have heard about it from the public sector side of things. That's like from Absolutely. a media perspective, that's been, it was the media, darling. Blockchain, we thought Bitcoin, you know, those, those terms Absolutely. became like common vernacular almost overnight, it felt like.
1: It, it did. And, and it was kind of like when all of a sudden cloud got introduced to us, right? Excellent. And it's like everybody says cloud now. It's the new word of the, of the day. But what's really interesting about private blockchain is that really it's an enforced workflow management tool that ultimately removes um, dispute resolution between two parties and two parties is always where you start and then you can always add on. So somebody described it very well recently and uh, they said, it's kind of like a wedding. You have to be invited to be a part of it. So it's, it's quite interesting because you don't just join the network like you do in the public side. Okay. You have to be invited by somebody within the network to be allowed to actually participate and have meaning in that network. That's interesting. So, um, so because of that, you create this concept of an immutable record and you create this performance of dispute resolution-free environment. But what's really interesting is that the data set is now a raw data set that you can always go back to its origin. So... If I ever need to go back and say, how did I get to a conclusion? You can say, well, I applied this thought to this data, but you can always track back to that original data set, which is what makes it ultimately an incredible technology because it it has a method of append only. Interesting. So over time, the value increases exponentially. It, as it becomes more rich. Uh-huh. So the, the beauty of it is that at some point in time, a company, when they deploy a private blockchain solution, they have to say, up to this point in time, everything is grandfathered yes. as we know it. From this point forward, we move forward in this fashion with the private blockchain deployment. And then the data actually becomes clean. So the beautiful part about why artificial intelligence and blockchain are going to be a probably one of the most beautiful match made in heaven technologies is because now you have kind of the beauty and the beast coming together. Right. The beauty being AI, because it's, it's very much coming in from the, uh, from the education sector, it comes in from universities, it comes in from the scholars side of the business, while blockchain has kind of been this patch of, of ideas put together to create this blockchain uh, technology.
0: Interesting. But so now- literally coming from two different bases of origin.
1: Absolutely. But now as they both mature, they're coming together. And what's what's really incredible about them is that now you can say, imagine if I can run my algorithms from a machine learning component that then I'm going to drive to an AI component if I can always run them off of a raw data set. So I always know whether the machine is making a biased or an unbiased decision based on the data. Based on the data. Because currently right now what we have is all the data in the world that we own and we've published has somehow been massaged. To tell the story you wanted it to tell. Yeah, yes, I will beat the numbers into t- tell the submission. <laughs> right, so yes. what did you do? You ultimately corrupted the data because you never have a way to go back to what was that original data set yeah. because it's been massaged so much. And your bias has influenced it from the get-go. Right, so now your machine learning, your AI is ultimately in a sense biased by the data set that's been massaged by somebody. So imagine if you can now have an environment where you can say I can always trace back to that original data set and we can always append that data set, right? We can always add to it right. as we learn. But you can't change its. But base. you can change its base.
0: So the confidence that's going to yield out of that will be exponential, and the ability, the speed, and the ac- I'll say quote unquote the ability to make decisions accurately based on now you know you don't have to go well yeah, but, but what well, where did that data right. even come from? Which you know.
1: So and we live in a world ah, that's of, really interesting. We live in a world of spreadsheets. Right? Yes. everybody lives in a world of spreadsheets so ultimately if I go back and I say I took a macro and somebody fat fingered something on a macro and deleted it and now nobody can nobody can see that deletion until you need to make a report based off of that data right. and then you can say well this report looks a little wacky maybe I want to go back and trace as to what happened well there's no tracing because it's the only an unauditable tool yes. in any data set it's gone. It's right. like, it's like, gone. A, like a snap it's gone mm-hmm. So the power of it is exponential over time. And because of that, it's creating new business models that we've never been exposed to because it's now about what am I going to do in the future with this data? And so, you chose to apply that into the oil and gas sector. Uh, I did. And I ultimately decided to do that because it, it makes a lot of sense to say, how can we remove disputes between a buyer, so an energy company, yes. and a service provider? I've heard talk about this, but I've never heard anyone really break it apart for me.
0: So this is yeah. really interesting. I think it ties in because we're here to talk about transformation in Calgary. Uh, absolutely. And you're talking <laughs> about two elements that are directly responsible and also contributors to what can be huge transformation
1: in a sector that has been under some severe you know, difficulties in the last few years. Well, and it's, and it's incredible what you can do with that data set, right? So imagine if I could prove to you that I had on site um, three Aboriginal groups performing jobs in this specific um, in this specific project. And it is now in an immutable state with a raw data set that nobody can deny that that's what actually happened at that point in time. Because if you saw it and I saw it and we both agreed that that's what it was and we committed it to that record. And we committed it to that record, who is to say that that's not what we did or what we saw?
0: Right? But the so argument that that becomes the gospel. That becomes, that becomes the, truth. the gospel. That becomes that's the truth.
1: Right. Really interesting. So powerful.
0: Just that concept of what what you can do now that you have that. It's really it's it just sets the, it sets the base for kind of exponential abilities to grow, change, streamline yeah. things to act with accuracy, trust, de risking because now you're trusting your data. Yeah. So from a Calgary perspective, how much is is this type of thinking or this way forward? Do you see it drastically contributing? To, because we're getting back to this conversation around what is right. what is transformation. Do you see the, these elements for you? Obviously, you've kind of gone all in on these being. Uh, I definitely went yeah. all in. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love it. There's talking. My, my business partner always jokes. There's being entrepreneurial, and then there's being an entrepreneur. They're very different. Yeah. You're all in. You, you kind of, I am.
1: I am all in. Do you this see is it. this
0: as a catalyst or as a key element to what's going to allow or maybe support this level of transformation that's happening in Calgary right now, or needs? I'm going to say arguably needs to happen. Mm.
1: So. I will hundred percent agree that transformation needs to happen we're in um We're in an environment where we we're continuously beating ourselves up over lack of data lack of transparency lack of information uh feeling like we're constrained in being able to get out our voice and express and and expose what we're actually doing and where we're going with things but from a perspective of where these two technologies specifically can grow. Um, ultimately the the world is their oyster. Like they um, they get to define what are the new business models and how we're going to operate in the state of the future. Um, I mean, everything from, let's take a perfect example is Mayor Nenshi's approval of the funding yes. uh, to go together for the new uh, Saddle Dome yes. environment. V- very high on people's uh, conversation very right high. now. Mm-hmm. So what if I told you that blockchain technology, if applied at the construction Uh, day-to-day operational level. If I saw every field ticket that came in Mm -hmm. and I recognized the dollar value of that field ticket and the job that was performed against that field ticket, and if I now had a live tally for somebody to be able to see where we are in the project against time, percentage-executed completion versus budget... And you could see that live at any which on every point project isn't
0: those the ultimate questions percentage so complete versus percentage budget utilized against timeline Th- those right. are, and it's so hard because they're so subjective those elements sometimes
1: so if I can ah, now show that's you if I can now show you on a day to day basis where we are what's more powerful is how do I tell that story back to the community yes because it's 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 our. Um it's our money, right? It's our it's our tax money that's going into it. They're technically just stewarding it for us. (laughs) That is correct. So if I was now gonna be able to show you and show the community that actually we're on time, we're on budget, we're not overspending, we're doing things the right way, what would that do to the trust of the way you're stewarding my money? Yes. Exponential increase. (laughs) Exponential increase. So all of a sudden what you're doing. And all the rhetoric and all the it goes away it instantly goes away <laughs> right because this, this there's a new model of transparency that says i can prove to you without a shadow of a doubt how i got to this result into what you're seeing right now so the technology is transformational in the way that it exposes information back to us as consumers mm-hmm. but it's also transformational to the way that we're now going to be able to apply Uh, some of the machine learning components, for example, to say, imagine if I can now take this and say, every time you look to perform this kind of a construction job, here's who needs to be on site when, here's who needs to bundle up the services how, and here's how we can actually perform that task every single time the same way. So that in itself creates an exponential value in the future state, because we can now say, let's reproduce what was the best case scenario before and see if we can either make it better or if we can get the algorithms to learn and to give us advice as to
0: where we could make it better. Back, back to where those two things overlap. You've got this first data set that's now clean and 100% accurate, trustworthy. Yeah. And then you've got now the ability to read that data and draw insights out
1: of it. Right. It's like every road. It's like, okay, so if you paved one back alley and you have 40,000 back alleys across all of Calgary, mm-hmm. what could you learn from that? Right. So anyway, and but right it, now it's it, it's it's too
0: all over the place to even to, to grasp it all and one. If, from, a, from a human perspective, we just can't grasp that.
1: Absolutely. So from it, a transformational perspective, for Calgary, the technology itself is one way. It's it's very much underestimated and not understood enough as to what its value can be. The challenge with Calgary is that we have a we have a problem with deploying our own technology within our own cities. Okay, first. interesting. And we've learned this a hard way and, and many of us as entrepreneurs <laughs> have learned this a hard way where we sometimes have to go and prove ourselves outside of our own city before we're given a badge of approval to come back into our city and deploy our own technology right. that we're building here. You're, not the, you're not the first <laughs> guest who's brought that up
0: of like, wow, like, you know, they'll be in a, in a meeting or you know, it was a consultant that I was chatting with and she basically like, wow, man, we don't know and that seems risky and they're like, um... Th- this is five-year-old technology somewhere else. Like, what, absolutely. Like, like, so, is there inherently a risk aversion in in, in this city? Because we're really here to talk about Calgary, good, bad, yeah. and, good, bad, and ugly. Because we want to make change. Is there inherently a risk aversion kind of baked into us into, a, into us culturally or corporately?
1: Well, here's the way that I would like to describe it, and maybe others describe it the same way. But um, we've always gone out and raised capital for significant projects, right? So, think about. Uh, every oil and gas company project that goes up, you're raising ten, twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred, two hundred million dollars. Like those are significant amounts of money. Yes. Tech companies when they raise a seed round is like two hundred grand, and you're like, I'm ready to go and roll yeah. and <laughs> take over the world with two hundred thousand, and I'll eat ramen noodle soup for the next two years. Right? Sleep under my desk. Yeah, I Sleep under my desk, and here's a cot that was twelve dollars, and I'm very excited. But what that, <laughs> but what it's that good context. It's good context. But what that ultimately created is this fear of failure. Right, because when you're managing such enormous sums of money right. that somebody entrusted you with, failure is not an option.
0: The, the, the yeah, you're right. It's not risk aversion. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. It gets baked in because of the scope and scale. And so, so I've never heard it breaking down that way. That's an interesting. So because
1: we've we've created this culture of the last hundred years. So since the you know early nineteen hundreds of oil well development and so on and so forth, we've created this culture of failure is not an option, but in tech failure is the only way to learn right. and to move forward. So we cannot have that same risk aversion component to tech applied as they did to you know two hundred fifty million dollar um, new gas well or sorry new gas plant uh, development. Right, right. Where all you have to do there is to say, "How do I stay on time and on budget?" Yes, right. And if I stay within a ten percent, because we know what we're doing, and it's a matter of just execution, really, at that point. Exactly, right. When where in tech is we don't know what we're doing. We believe we've got an idea of how we're going to execute better in the future. We have a theory. (laughs) We have a theory, and we're looking for you to fund us to build out that theory. And if it works, killer, right? Like everybody wins in the in the story. But because that we've created this uh, risk aversion component where it says. Now, if I want to deploy this technology to field operator at a at a well site, well, when his bonus is tied to performance, and to and performance meaning how many barrels a day did you produce out of this asset? Yes. How can he ever consider deploying a new technology on that well if it if it potentially impacts his um, his bonus, and that bonus is what pays for his kids' education, and that bonus is what he ends up buying his. Uh, you know cottage or trailer with yes right all of a sudden you've just made that person not want to do any of it because you've really in a way kind of shackled and tied them down but still saying explore new opportunities take a look at new technology and the guy's like well i'll take a look all you want but i'm not deploying it absolutely i I, I can't be the one who's going to back like to have that whole risk on my back so if we keep going back to the path of well who else did this it's like, well, I don't know. Nobody wants to do it because nobody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be second, yes. right. So we, as Albertans, and as part of this emerging environment, I like to call us, and actually, um, I'm not even going to take credit for this. Uh, John Dugdale, one of my other co-founders at TerraHub, he said, as Albertans, we like to be fast seconds. And we used to have I've heard versions of that statement before. Right, we used to have this really uh, beautiful little uh, picture in our our, uh, talk tracks. And it was a group of marathoners running and all coming up to the finish line and all stopping Waiting. and saying, you first, if it said innovation on the ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> the picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, so it's incredible because, and I'll, and I'll give you a perfect example. In, in the US, it's all about competitive advantage. How am I going to be better than my neighbor? Yes. And how am I going to make sure that I have something that he or she doesn't have? And arguably almost at an, at an aggressive pitch. <laughs> oh, at an incredibly aggressive yeah. pitch, yeah. right? So um, here's a perfect comparison. In 2018, when TerraHub, our blockchain AI company started, in 2018, we in Alberta did probably about 40 out 40 to 50 public and private speaking engagements. Okay. We created courses with Husky and School of Business, ICD, and so on and so forth. And we said, how do we actually deploy this technology to a myriad of companies? The adoption is, I would say, still considered almost zero to that value. Did you, had, US, you had interest, but no adoption. So were people curious, or was it even low on that? Curious. Just curiosity, curiosity and that's it, okay, right? Okay. In the U.S., we, we did our first course in January 2018. And by November of 2018... So nine months later or whatever it is, 10, 11 months later, a group of seven super majors, Exxon, Chevron, Conoco, Noble, Pioneer, Hess, Repsol, all got together and said, we're going to create our first non-for-profit organization where we're all going to commit $100,000 a year over three years. So $300,000 each to say, how do we play around and test this technology? That's the aggressiveness of where they're at. And I was sitting down with one of the... But even that model allowed them to mitigate their risk while still Absolutely. looking for opportunity
0: by separating it out, but saying, you know what? And I've heard, you know, if you want innovation to happen, you can't expect it to happen in the, in the environment that you're in now if it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, we're going to do everything differently, but hey, the, there's still the same four walls. But even that strategy of moving it out and, and being able to take the risk for them, what was $100,000 each? It was it's
1: nothing. nothing. It, and but it's they the, had a
0: mindset to go, let's give it a try.
1: But even to an energy company down here, what a is $100,000 each? Yes, right. No Ultimately, no. it's it's the cost of one FTE. Um, the moment you, the moment you roll in everything else internally, right? So will the cost of one FTE, that's a really good way to look at it, right? Will the cost of one full-time employment or one FTE, would that give you a value proposition with some other partners? And it's still about being competitive where you're competitive, Yes. but finding a new way in which you can manage that competitive level and say, how can we actually learn from the technology together? Right. So if, if it's a million dollars for you to throw, uh, you know, fiber optic cable down a down a well, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you do it with your four partners? Learn from it, and you guys can go out and do and, every, you and want everybody with that data set. and everybody go back right? to their own corner and do it, and do what they want with that and do what you want with that data and figure out how you're going to be more competitive than the other one, but you shared cost, shared risk, and shared success.
0: Right. Right, which is the basic, you know, rising tides, and it kind of brings it all together. We all get smarter together, Absolutely. but we're still going to do different things with it because we've got different cultures and different beliefs and different skill sets. Hundred yeah. percent, right? And, it's and the it, scarcity versus abundance model, yeah,
1: it's yeah, the scarcity model rarely gets you far. Mm. And uh, you know, to give you a, a, a simple example, I was working with one of the energy, one of the super majors, and they, one of their business units bought, um, I think something like a thousand Alexas. Okay. And I said, "What are you doing with thousand Lexus? He's like, "I don't know." So, well, well, I'm going to put it in this gas plant, and I'm going to see what I'm going to learn from it. So, in Texas, they threw it down into into one of the plants, and they came back three months later and said, "Well, here's what we learned: is that we can actually create a dictionary of water cooler conversations, um, and we can translate that into Spanish as well. And we can now every new hire, any new person that comes to the plant, can literally listen to like almost like a live dictionary podcast." Of the things that they're going to hear in this in this in this asset, I love that for so many reasons, <laughs> right? But it's they didn't go in thinking, "Oh, I'm going to definitely learn this from this." Absolutely, it was a I don't know, but what's a thousand Alexas at three hundred bucks?
0: Nothing. And but interesting, the message that sends to the company, the conversation, what's this Alexa? What's it doing? Oh, our company's trying something new. We're being innovative. Yeah. We're thinking outside the box. Like that sets a. Because back to what you talked about before, we're really dealing with culture.
1: Absolutely, the culture
0: of driving and you know, taking risk. But even still, those were mitigated risks. Were, they weren't even risks on the scale of risk. <laughs> exactly, right? Because if they like, went wrong, nothing bad would happen. Except you? a thousand of went into the trash.
1: <laughs> right. Or take them and donate them to a charity. Completely. Right. 100%. So many things zero you can do risk, with that. Zero, zero risk. risk, right? If anything, all up, up, and reward.
0: Yeah. right. But, but I, an I,
1: openness and a curiosity mindset. But that's the thing. But we look at, you know, the concept of research and development to me is is kind of died in okay. a sense, right? Because... Hmm. We don't, we don't look at, how do I say this? So R&D money used to ultimately be for fail and succeed. Okay. Fail 90% of the time, succeed 10%, learn from the 90. So get all the learnings and teach everybody back as to what you learned. And that 10% that succeeded gave you that next kind of level of, of, um, uh, of success yeah, ultimately and, and within your company. Move the organization right? forward. Move the organization forward. Advanced your differentiator, your value proposition. Right. But what we're doing now is we're saying, sorry, every time you want money for a project, even though it's part of your innovation team's budget, you need to prove to me with a business case, with an idea, with a value proposition, with blah, 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 blah. Here's 30 criteria that's going to take a team a year to figure out and to try to deploy. And if they're not successful, their necks are strangled. Right, but it's like, but how's that R and D? How's to, that innovation?
0: Back to, like you said earlier about putting too much risk on the individual. Yeah, it's like well, you, if you don't get it right, like we're really supportive, but don't have, don't screw it up. Don't Just screw it us, up. You're out. Yeah. So you know what happens in those environments
1: of fear? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. But that's better. exactly it. so. Ah, that's I always go back to. to look at it. So I go back to three things. If I ever have my three fiercest competitors in all of the businesses that I've I've been in before are change management. Right change process management, and status quo. And ultimately, that is, that's something that the concept of status quo should not even be thought of as a, as a, competitive, as a competitor to me as either a new right. business or an existing established business. Because how will we ever define metrics if we maintain status quo? How will we ever define that if I did this differently here, I could actually gain that metric? Right. I can't. So when you've impeded people from having the ability to change because of fear of change, then you're ultimately always going to result back to status quo. If I keep it this way and I keep my production this way, I'm always going to be like this. Yeah. Nobody gets fired for
0: hiring the X or whatever because it's the same and it's safe and yeah. It's so it 's so, so interesting these conversations i 'm having with people we talk about you know bleeding and leading edge technologies, but what it ultimately comes back is to human belief structures absolutely and, and which therefore are indirectly corporate. you know a corporation is just a group of people <laughs> hanging out, believing in believing in a, a shared story, hopefully absolutely and moving it forward yeah. so from what 's Calgary getting right and what 's Calgary getting wrong, are you seeing some because we 've kind of touched on the what what, we're, what we could I want to be bunt, but what we 're yeah. getting wrong, are you seeing change? Have we dealt with enough pain that we're... No, you're shaking no. your head. No. Oh, I'm definitely shaking my head now. Okay. No. No. Because hey, So we, it hasn't been
1: painful enough yet? Have we not been punched in the face enough that we need to change? Well, here's the thing. So most of the corporations uh, have a board. And the board tends to drive the strategy with the executives, right? So... I'm an executive, I go back to my, all my executives and I'm saying, hey guys, what's our strategy for the next three to five years? What's our short term for the next year? Yep. And let's develop a pitch deck, present it back to our board who's been supporting us and has been part of our financing and some of the members on there are part of the private equity firms and so on and so forth, yes. banks and so on that are supporting us. It's all very incestuous. <laughs> right, so if I've presented to you my strategy, my one, three, five-year strategy and I told you how I'm going to develop and deliver that and I now come to you every single year and I say yeah, but you know, I kind of like maybe should have done this a little bit differently. You as the board, what is your strength and believe in my ability to perform and actually drive something across the finish line? Mm -hmm. So because of that, what ultimately happens is it, it creates an environment where if the board doesn't approve it, and if we can't tell the board why we need to change, and these strategies have been done since 2014, 2015, we haven't yet hit the final mile of you need to give us money and leeway to truly go out and do something so different that it's actually going to change and help pivot our business. So we haven't run far enough down the
0: pain cycle. Um, we haven't we just keep going back to the table representing it a, a slightly different version of what we did before right it's quote-unquote hoping and these are very smart these are intelligent people not of course whimsically, absolutely but we're hoping that the old strategy is kind of going to work again but we're living in a world where to your coin about bleeding edge leading edge and and you talked about that like it could have been a, a decade but it was two years <laughs> It was two years i mean yeah it's and how do you change big deep corporate thinking and ways of doing things that have already worked for the last 30 years that's right. That now, all of a sudden, you're getting a left hook, but you're not getting knocked down yet. Right. Mm. So that, that's a challenge, and, so and it's, I, it's a I respect that. Challenge. That's easy for us to sit
1: here and talk about it. Absolutely. And don't but get me, me wrong. Really I respect easy. what those guys do in the, in the big, in the big, um, you know, the big glass towers. If you want to put it this way. Yes. I respect what they do. I respect the, um, the day-to-day operational decisions that they have to make, and to understand how are they going to keep that company alive, and how are they going to keep the jobs. Whatever jobs they can keep, how can they keep them and hold on to them, right? Because the hardest thing they need to do right now is to go out or they can do right now is to go out and raise money to continue keeping the lights on in times as they are in that energy sector, right? But that goes the same thing for construction. It goes the same thing for the supplier network. So... um, June War Nichols, which is a uh, uh-huh. a big publishing group here yeah. in, yes, in I'm Alberta. From, I'm familiar with them. So JWN and uh, and um, uh, PSA, the Production uh, Services Association, so the Producer Service Association, um, that represents the services companies ultimately, uh, did their latest report in um, in uh, I want to say maybe May this year, and they came out and they said, and just grasping these numbers and and I'm rounding them off, but I'm rounding them to kind of the nearest percentage, okay. so I'm not going very far off. In 2016, a service company would spend 10% of their time chasing an invoice. That's, what is that? An average of four hours a week. Let's put it this way, right? Okay, yeah. Based if we, it off, that's an if easy we way base it. it off of a 40-hour work week. Two years later, 2018, at the end of that survey, 30% of their time is spent chasing an invoice to be paid. That's a significant increase because that means... I've now added 12 hours of non-productive time into my day-to-day operational schedule to perform to still get paid for the equivalent of 40 hours. Right. So I got to work 52 to get paid for 40 ultimately at the same base rate or the next head-shaved rate that I was given. Yes. Right. And yeah, arguably doing that with a
0: smaller invoice than they might be would have been doing it for the same piece of work two years a year That's before. Right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. There's, right. other, so, there's other factors that are hitting that. It's incredible. So all of a sudden, and then now you have a group of suppliers coming out and saying, we can't actually survive for more than 30 or 60 days without these invoices being paid on time because we have no other means of um, debt. Yep, supporting that we the get... cash
0: needs of the business. Yeah.
1: Right. So that is an inc- that's a very powerful statement to understand what that's done to the morale and to the, and to the value of, what a dollar can how far a dollar goes today right right for these guys so if we go back to what do we need to do it, this is a drastical change this is an environment where the only way truly forward is through technology right right it's through enabling the field and enabling the suppliers and enabling the buyers to agree that they can now use and should use technology to streamline some of their operational components because a lot of these guys, like, why should I chase an invoice for 30, 60, 90, 120 days from you when I came out and I did that work? Do I do the work for you 60% and then I complete the next 20 and then I do the last 20 when you give me the full invoice? No.
0: No, that's not how right? it works. It's
1: not how it works. So, what do you ultimately do? You create this pyramid of crushing the services market. Those that are international have the ability to inject. And move money around the world into right, but their business. Arguably, businesses. that's still not a sustainable model. So it's not a sustainable model yeah, either, yeah. right? So over time, there's a component of what am I going to do? How are we going to survive? So then, all and of eventually, a sudden, if those businesses
0: go away, the whole thing comes again because it it's, it's crumbling. Absolutely, down,
1: right? So there's only so much you can do before yeah. you grinding your suppliers is definitely back. a short-term strategy. And mm-hmm. you have to figure out how am I going to deploy technology to ultimately allow for this to happen? Is it sounds it sounds great, and but
0: what if I'm on a side of that where actually I want to pay my invoices in 60 or 90 days and sure. all of a sudden I've got this invoice now that is a hundred percent legit transparent. Like I'm always thinking of the negative because it sounds very, it sounds very panacea and it does sound legit, but there's gotta be some people that are like, I don't want that level of accuracy and transparency because my business model is maybe manipulating that situation. You know, I'm uh, kind of going away no, out a little absolutely. bit of left field here, but,
1: <clears throat> but that's actually I've been told this. Okay. Like I've literally sat in a boardroom with executives that said, Gray is okay, and uh, 90 to 120 is because because we leverage gray. We use gray. Absolutely, right? And that's that's okay. But why don't you allow the service provider to have an immutable transaction that they can go out and factor? I, as a bank... That's an interesting way to put it because all of a sudden the value
0: now of that piece of paper... Is exponentially higher because, like, well, what, what are your because? What's always the question? What are your odds of collecting this? If it's ninety days, your odds go down by. So there's all these algorithms that Absolutely. work against you exactly. for the
1: value of that outstanding piece of work. So, if Yet the work you, was worth
0: one hundred percent of what it was worth at the time,
1: <laughs> that's right. So, it's all the of frustrating a sudden, part is
0: the service provider.
1: So, all of a sudden, if I can tell you that, hey, this is an immutable transaction. We both agreed on it. I'm gonna. I'm only willing to pay it in one twenty. Let me give you the opportunity. To have an undisputed transaction that you can take to a factoring group and let them wait for 120. And they're happy to wait for 120. But arguably, your points on that should be a little bit lower because the value of the invoice is high. That should be a a two-point on a 24-hour turnaround. Yes. Right? And don't call me on the numbers. But it should be be really, how do I pay you in 24 hours at two points? And two points on every $200 transaction, yeah. all of a sudden for the factoring company really adds up. Oh, and the business model now for them, you've just de-risked it for them as well. hundred percent. Which is really what we're
0: talking about here is de-risking the whole thing.
1: We're talking about de-risk, right? But we're talking about it has to be a win-win situation yes. that people can come together on and say, I agree that this is how I want to move that forward. But
0: to your point, if I'm a service company and I go in and I know the pay cycle is 120 days, but I know that now I can factor that invoice and I can manage my cash flow and maybe I can do 30 or 60, but I can't do the 120. And That's I right. build my model now on a trusted, again, you make much better decisions when things are for sure, quote unquote,
1: than yeah. like, oh, I'm going to make this decision on a maybe 90, maybe 120. That's hard. Yeah. So how do you keep? You know, employees. How do you keep? Uh, how do you keep the company ultimately running right at its uh, at its peak performance ability?
0: So when you look at what the way forward for Calgary, and obviously you're very vested, you're very vested into the energy space sector, and, and how that this is a net like we need to do everything different. Like we, like the way we're looking at it in terms of technology,
1: it, it's never going to be business as usual, quote unquote. No, business as usual is, and and I do know specifically that a lot of the a lot of the executives recognize that business as usual is no longer the term that we can ever use. Yeah. The hold ultimately. your,
0: the holding our breath and hoping, you know, and I've talked no. to lots of people who've been in Calgary for 50 years. like, ah, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago, the story was, ah, it's just another downturn. It'll come back. Yeah. But the fundamentals, the, the 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 ground under our feet has shifted.
1: Well, and, and ultimately a lot of the shifts have also come with obviously the media uh, components that have yes. not really supported and helped us in, in yeah. certain components, but there is a root. You know, me- there is a root messaging challenge. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And, and, transformation is scary every time you do transformation for the first time it's scary because of the unknown yeah right and how do i go back to my team and create a comfort level and let them know that the unknown is okay and we're taking small chunks and bites out of it right but there has to be a moment where you just say i gotta do it like i have to do it i don't have well, an option when the pain of staying right? the same is greater than the than the pain of the risk of change mm-hmm. right and yeah. we're not and nobody's saying let's deploy technology to then let go more people in a company right the way i look at technology is to say every single person in in one of these companies has lost good friends and lifetime friends in those companies to the downturn yes but somebody had to pick up that hat and perform that job well, the
0: argument is the people that are, that, that are still there are doing twice or three times the work they did before because exactly. the work didn't
1: go away. So if there's ways to deploy technology to the hats that have been managed by multiple people, yes. how could we actually allow those people to go back to doing the job they were originally hired for? Versus the 12 hours a week chasing an
0: invoice. Back to your story on the time. Right. There's so, probably a better use of that individual's time that can contribute to moving the company forward versus just chasing an invoice as a survival strategy. Exactly. It's not a forward right? moving
1: strategy. So then when you go back and you look and say, well, why would I do business here? Why wouldn't I go to the US? Right. Where I'm now competitive and I'm now in a market that wants me and needs me. I mean, I know so many. It opens up a lot more doors of potential. So many engineers, so many, even project managers, business analysts that are saying, why, like, I'm not going to go chase another job here. I'm going to Texas, I'm going to California, I'm going to Houston, I'm going to um, I have, the Denver. Ex, the, the exodus right? of talent is, is real. Oh, yeah. it is incredible. It's incredible. And what's also incredible is the fact that we're now leaving the junior engineers, the junior geologists, geophysicists. We're leaving them in an environment where the highest paid guys that got cut, right. ultimately the knowledge transfer never made it through. Yes,
0: Right. Which is always a challenge at the best of times when you've got that exodus of just intellectual capital.
1: Right. So now what? So right. ultimately, if you look at our intellectual capital, where is it going? Right. And who's, do, who's taking it? And who's creating a net new advantage to their business? Yes. Hmm. Right? So what we've done is we've also... That's in, a sore spot for anybody who really thinks about that. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the reality, right? And, and that also happens in tech. So I was at a, I was at a panel at uh, the opening of this year in, um, in a... Uh, Technology for uh, for the real estate business. Okay, Mm -hmm. and um, and I said, well, think about it logically, which is, and logic is in my own expression of logic, Mm -hmm. which is, why would I, as a software developer, want to work for a company that all I'm going to do is yet another SAP implementation, another integration between the legacy system and a new system, when I could truly work on cool, new, exciting, fun invigorating project, and I can work out of my basement, I can work for somebody in the US, I can work for somebody in China, I can work for somebody else somewhere else. Right. But ultimately, what we're doing is we're also deploying our smarts from a technology perspective to somebody else somewhere else. Right. Right. To arguably create a, a, a competitive
0: advantage that could then will be used against, you know, back to the proverbial us.
1: Right. So the exodus is not just those it's that a, are physically It's a very dangerous, dangerous cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a
1: very dangerous cycle because what you've done is you've now created an environment where the people are saying, well, I'd rather go. And, and if you know the mentality of a software developer, right. um, a lot of the times their key drive is, um, and I'm just kind of broad stroking this for a lot yep. of the developers, uh, so whoever's a developer listening to this, please don't, uh, uh, don't, don't take my head off on it. But they always want to work on cool projects that are going to see the light of day, that are going to have user interaction, and they're going to get feedback on how they're performing, how they're doing it, how they can make it better, and they can kind of live behind that project. Right. Right. So if I'm not giving them this here, then they have to go search for it somewhere else. And they'll a lot of the times be willing to take a lower rate because of the experience. Because of yeah. the
0: experience. Well, if you look back at the psychology of what engaged someone at work, their ability to see the impact directly of their work on an outcome—that's just human. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just saddle that with developers for sure. Absolutely. But that's. But that's what yeah. I'm saying is that if we're not creating that environment, right? Then what we create is the exodus to go find that. So if I, going, I will go find that, and I'm highly. You know, youth today we're highly mobile. The world, it's the global village we live in. Absolutely. You're not right. saddled by borders. You're not saddled by. Like I said, you can still do that from your own home. And that's where technology is shifting that. So from a metric or something that we would start measuring in Calgary, like that exodus or that 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 talent leaving our, our job market, that's clearly a, a negative KPI or something that we'd like to, that we need to manage. I would
1: say we need to manage it. And, okay. you know, it's, I would look at it the other way and say, you know, we're doing a push right now in a drive to say, how do we bring tech talent to Calgary? Yes. Right? Okay. But is that tech talent being utilized in Calgary for Calgary companies deploying product For Canada. Okay. So let's think about that. Is it? Because the way that I see it, it's really not. Okay. Right? We're deploying people here to work at a, you know, 33 cents lower value for the company in the U.S. because the U.S. group is the one that's ultimately deploying them here. Interesting. Right? So who are they actually benefiting? Is the intellectual property that we're building, is it that we're building it for us or are we building it for somebody else? Which
0: in the long term, that doesn't move us out of where we are. That, that transformation, that elusive transformation we're talking about,
1: yeah. it can look like a lot of like, movement, but sure. it doesn't create long-term change. Great. Create 3,000 tech jobs here. Yes, But I want to know how many of those 3,000 tech jobs are deployed and, and creating value for us. And us is, I'm, th- I'm talking us as Canadians. Yes, right? we're talking about
0: Calgary right now, but we yeah. don't live in isolation. We're part exactly. of a bigger ecosystem. Yeah, right. absolutely. so
1: how does that fit ultimately? So how do we measure, picture?
0: what would be the metric that would support that if you were going to build your dashboard and kind of put that out there?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a, that's a hard number. Um, I don't know. I, I, okay. I, really, I really honestly uh, don't know. That's a fair answer because it's hard. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's quite complex, number one, but two, from a perspective of if we don't incentivize the city, and we don't incentivize the province to truly create a tech-enabled ecosystem, whether we're B2B or B2C, okay. regardless of, the, of either or, how do we create something that has a global footprint but creates local talent that wants to be here and perform here and stay here? And hopefully our companies don't get acquired by yet another VC fund or PE fund out of the U.S. Yes, because the one part that we don't, I don't think a lot of us are ultimately recognizing today is, you know, and I'll take an example from, again, from the oil and gas sector, but Cortex Business Solutions, Open Invoice, the old digital oil yep. field, yes. right? Both acquired by private equity out of Austin. That same private equity company recently acquired Red Dog gibling mm-hmm. another legacy system from Alberta, 20 odd years, almost 30 years in the business. Right? So we're getting just in the last year, three fundamental tech oil and gas plays acquired by PE firm that's a data uh play, PE firm. It acquired all the asset and all the value and all the old the IP out right. of this, right? And then you have a with their exit. I don't know how many people know a but it was three SI before. That did massive acquisitions, and it was it was probably just over a billion dollar acquisition. Okay. In Alberta, in Q one of this year. So funny, those things we don't hear about, right? Yeah. So all I'm of a sure sudden, some people have. I had not heard about that. Mm. Right. So all of a sudden, um, and it wasn't public. It wasn't public in the in the sense of the dollar value, but okay. we recognized the the size of the companies that were being acquired by by 3SI and the group over the, over the last number of years. But again, it's not Canadian P that's acquiring right Canadian products and Canadian talent it's USPs right so what does that ultimately do to us what does it leave us with so what do we have that we own a handful that people, we manage a handful of
0: people with an exit right and some capital that maybe they'll deploy back into this market maybe they'll and that's what we're else. hoping for yeah right yes that's we're a hoping strategy. that they're
1: gonna come back and say hey you know what I'm willing to display this back in in our province right and to do something significant with it right and that's and that." again, creates that mass exodus component of not just intellectual property, but also people who are, who are they now performing for, right? Yes. They're performing for the PE fund that acquired them, which is a US PE fund.
0: Yes. Not staying inside our ecosystem and elevating everything here. And that's, I've had a couple guests on and they talked about that. Like our tendency here in Canada, they spoke very broadly to, to build and sell, not build and grow.
1: (laughs) And how it changes what you get in the long run. Like, it really changes the long-term horizon, which is exactly what you're talking about. But it also, it also, it, you know, you should know very well as, a, as an entrepreneur, when you kick off a company, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a lifestyle company? Or are you going to be a, a build-to-sell company? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, you and your founders or co-founders, unless you're truly by yourself, should really know that right from the day, day one. Mm-hmm. Are we building to grow? Or are we building to, to become a lifestyle company? Both are great. Yes. I have no... Quirals on either one. But recognizing that if you do build a lifestyle company, how are you then going to be able to manage that here, maintain, support, yes, IP, and so on and so forth, and not go overseas and get others to build you at a cheaper rate? Yes. Right. So then how do we enable that? Because if we can not give people access to capital, whether it's VC, whether it's angel, whether it's yep. PE, then they're going to be forced to go look somewhere else for capital. Yes, just right? to keep the
0: model moving. And would you say from Calgary's perspective, what you're seeing, is that, is that money available? Is there is that network
1: there? Is it getting any better?
0: No, shaking it's, your head, no.
1: it It's getting better. Okay. So as an A100 member, I can say that it's getting better. And we're working really hard at finding new ways and new incentives to attract and to open up some of the purses that exist in, in Calgary locally. From generational wealth as well. Because there has been a lot of money, a lot of capital Absolutely. made here
0: over a long period of time. Absolutely. Like when, it's
1: generational wealth. Which I've is... had some
0: guests who've broken down like, well, here's why we should be successful. We've got the education. We've got the capital. We've got these large enterprise companies with huge data sets to work from. And some of, but yet, when, what I'm hearing from you also is like, well, but there's a gap in the belief structure somewhere that's yeah. not allowing that to all come together. Exactly. We've right. got and all the pieces to make a cake, but we just don't have the mindset to sit in the kitchen long enough to make the
1: cake. We're not we're not willing to take the risk to make the cake. That the cake might Why the would cake I... might actually not taste good. <laughs> right. It's gonna look all pretty, but inside it's actually crumbling. And you're like, I don't want it to be crumbling. <laughs> so, so, right? that's not the so that's not us. That's not how we do business, right? We go out and we perform and we always deliver. Back to the original mindset that's been created because of the nature of the work we've done here. That's right. And the size of the
0: nature of the, the work scale. that we've done here right so versus the fail fast model like yeah i'd rather burn absolutely. a little bit of money and bake 17 cakes, but the 18th one is going to be like man delicious. it's going to be incredible and i was right? celebrated for throwing the 17 in the garbage yeah <laughs> or donating them or learning or whatever chalk them up as a learning experience yeah. but that's so, a huge cultural shift i really appreciate that perspective it's it's mind-blowing what it would
1: take to actually do that right and any, any thoughts on where we'd start on that Oh, man. I'm, I'm hitting you with a hard question. Right, it, it. It's definitely a hard question, but... And I hate using the word but because it, it ultimately means that something beforehand is not... Is yeah, yeah, everything before it's but being is... being honest. I, 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 I've been taught that you were... And... <laughs> and... And... <laughs> so to complement that, I would say it really would take a visionary that has the ability to sit... A group of highly effective, highly motivated, and um, high—maybe uh, uh, I'll call them ultra-high net worth individuals. Okay, to sit down and understand—they have, the, have, the, have the means. Mm. They have to sit down and understand how, why, and to see the longer vision, and to understand the—you know what we call the the failure, uh, right? The seventeen yes. cakes failure yes. components. Yes but why that one is always going to be the next one that's going to let everything else then happen again and again and again and how much faster we can iterate every single time yes right we have the 10th cake will be
0: a very different process than cake number
1: 3 and we've got some incredibly smart guys in Alberta that have been in the VC world and the P world and have built big funds or significant size funds anyway mm-hmm. um and contributed to significant size funds uh, that understand what does it take and how do you actually mesh and build this together. We've got that talent. right? We've got that knowledge. And a lot of those guys are also themselves investing externally. Which is, at the end of the day, what are we really doing to ourselves? We're cannibalizing what's internal and then continuously going out and investing externally somewhere else.
0: And we're going to keep getting the same thing right? over and over again. Yeah. And
1: it's the same result every single time. Yeah. right. And then we go back to... Well, what could we have done different? Well, we're not looking to do anything different. We talk about it, but right. we're not applying it, which is two totally different streams of business, yes. ultimately, right? Is there, uh, I guess,
0: is there anything that can happen? Is this at government level? I like to look at all the different factors that can come to like How is it creating more incentive, more favorable environment for taking those risks? Because again, we're still coming back to de-risking.
1: If of, 17 of
0: cakes, I know it's kind of risky, but if I feel it's a bit less risky, I'll go for it because I, I want to get to the 18th or 19th. Is, is that a government factor? I, again, just looking for other other ways that we could potentially influence that.
1: Mm. Well, and, and I want to bring this up because it's um, and I actually left it as, um, as a note for myself. But Recently, there was an incredible fund that has been raised which is fund two okay um in asia and um this fund is i want to say it's led by a city and it's a hundred and eight billion dollar tech venture fund okay interesting a hundred and eight billion at the municipal level no at at a at a private environment okay. level, okay, where there was a, where there was but, support but, from know, but the, in a
0: specific city, okay, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't
1: put together by the municipality. Okay, I misunderstood. Right. But it's, I mean, that is the level when we're talking about somebody coming out and saying, "I pff, we just raised a ten million dollar fund here, right?" And we're gonna you know seed up some companies here, and we raised a hundred million in Ontario, and we did um, you know two hundred more million in uh, Montreal, out of Element AI, and right. so on and so forth. We're talking about a scale that's unheard of in in this country, and do we have the capital and the means to pull all those groups together to do it here as well? Absolutely, right. But we're not. But, but, but yet we're not. But yet we're not. Right. Like that is that's an incredible uh, that's an incredible amount of money that needs to be uh, that needs to be uh, recognized.
0: But I like what you said—that visionary, or who's who's going to be, because oftentimes there's a rallying point, there's a leader, or there's somebody, or there's a message out there, and someone's stewarding that message that goes. gets yeah. people start to think in a, in a, in a new way. Is that an individual? Is that an organization? There's lots of little pockets, which is the whole point of this podcast—is banging yeah. these pockets together. Is there one group that you see that needs to be or has the opportunity to be out in the need? Is a tough question. Has maybe the opportunity
1: or the bandwidth to get out in the head of this? there's a few there's a few groups that i that i I've, I've been um and i'm not i'm not looking to exclude anybody specifically but you know you you look at builders vc right with mark okay. blackwell and and uh joe and and the guys there and then you look at what uh, patrick Lohr has done with mm-hmm. uh, panashi ventures yes. and, and so on there's already groups that are out there deploying and raising significant capital yes in alberta and um I believe Mark has a mandate of, um, and don't quote me on this, but somewhere of up to forty percent of their funds are always uh, for Canadian deployment. Right? Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and they're now into the hundreds of millions of dollars funds that they're raising. Right. All of a sudden, that that creates a significant pool that you can start drawing from. Yes. And what we're also seeing is we're seeing a lot of private equity funds starting to get in much earlier into. Uh, into tech investments at even seed levels sometimes. Okay, which is seeing them as less, like, th- th- yeah, b- being
0: less fearful of like, well, let's wait till you're farther down the path. Right,
1: because for them, uh, you know, a, a $50,000 or $100,000 investment to lead a seed for, a, right. uh, for a, a new startup is ultimately insignificant to the size of their, their portfolio, right? But, it, you know, we talked, I was talking to... Um, uh, a recent a recent group. I don't want to mention their name yet, but I was talking to a recent group who are, who are coming into a significant amount of money. Money that it's coming also from the government. Okay, as part of the support uh, from the government side, and it has nothing to do with AI and and the money coming in from the hundred million for Alberta Innovates and okay. and Amy and other a different pocket a, a different pocket, and we talked about you know, they were looking at how do we get six, seven, eight successful companies out of it. And I said, well, if you want to do that, you ultimately need about a pool of 3000 companies and you need to be able to feel comfortable that you can, you know, you can deploy 50 grand without even looking at it ultimately out of your, and it's a significant size pool and say 50 grand. Is that going to get you to the next step? Yes. Well, okay. We'll take a, whatever, a 2%, a 5%. Uh, back to your original right. cultural
0: statement. If, if you put too many criteria around that 50 grand, then nothing happens. You, you spend half the 50 grand just figuring out the criteria.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about well, what will it take to actually manage that and to say, how do we actually deploy you know, 50 grand to three, 300, to 1,000 companies yeah. and give them that first opportunity or match them and say, you go raise 50 for family and friends, we'll match you 50, you got 100, you can get started and, and, and figure something out. But ultimately what you're doing is you're you're saying, how do we deploy that money? Not over a ten year and hoard it and no, yes. this is a I, Yeah, and there's no, been. let's take this and deploy it in two years, right? In three years. Create an abundance and create an environment where people say, Oh heck, I'm gonna move there for two years if I can get You know, 100 grand or... Because what we're really talking about is shifting mindset. And you can do that slowly
0: or you can use, you know, what is that breakthrough tactic or that quantum leap moment where you're like, oh, wow, this is happening and it sends a message. But something has to happen. We're open to innovation. We're open to supporting this. We're open. And the amount of activity, like just I can think of the buzz that would get going if you deployed money that way.
1: It's incredible, right?
0: I mean, and there's always going to be a cause. Like, even if it doesn't work, something's going to be learned. <laughs> like, you're going to go through the process and come out the side and know more you, than before. You, but went then you in.
1: can start doing collisions, right? Yes. Then you can start colliding companies and say, you know what? 100%. Actually, you and you, you seem to have a very similar vision. Yeah, we'll back you for hundred because it would have been fifty to you, fifty to you. We'll back you for hundred. You guys get another hundred. You get two hundred, and so now you can trade find a almost different way. A,
0: a matchmaker environment,
1: <clears throat> right? But if you don't have the volume, right. then how can you ever matchmake? Yes right and if you don't take the risk yeah, you know the not dating, the dating it,
0: pool is small sooner or later yeah. you you've, you've gone through all your well, dates there goes there goes bumble yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: exactly
0: right but that's an interesting way to think about it like yeah how do we how do we create those you know algorithm slash environment that allows these different disparaging groups that are respectively in their own basements right now get them to come together
1: absolutely right and and we really need that's to... That's interesting
0: to measure is not even the, the 300, but out of that, what relationships respond and what, what's the second tier
1: and the third tier idea that comes out of that process. Right. And, that's and to me, that's, that's critical to create that mind shift and that change because ultimately right now, the, we talked about the three barriers, right? Which is change management, yes. change process management, and ultimately status, status quo. quo. And if we don't open up our doors of innovation... And I respect the energy companies and, and some of the other companies like constructions and so on that are starting to create their own um, internal groups for emerging tech and looking at deployment of emerging tech and so on and so forth. Yep. But they're still bounded. They're still bounded by the, by the typical strategy of show me a business plan in a business case of how you're going to do a, you know eight-week pilot project and it's going to have a return of X. No. Eight-week pilot projects are money that goes out the door. With the intent that you're probably never going to see a value out of it. Yeah. Except the lesson learned. Yes. It's about setting the, setting the target. Like I always joke, like
0: if you don't want to shoot out the window, stop putting the target there, you know, (laughs) like put the target in the right place. Right. Sometimes we don't see past the target. If the target is like, what can we learn? But you know, the Alexa example was a great one. What are we going to learn? I don't know, but we're We know something's going to, we know something's going to happen. happen. And the worst case scenario
1: is still not that bad. (laughs) It, but that's the thing is, how do you explain to somebody that it's just not that bad? I know,
0: you're right. It's a very subjective thing to say. Yeah. Easy for me to see, say, <laughs> sitting here, you and, I, you and I chatting.
1: Absolutely. Some very
0: cool perspectives you brought forward today. I've really, really enjoyed. That's, again, selfishly, the, the amount of different guests I've talked to and the perspectives of how to come at this, but so much the common theme that I'm seeing is it's a mindset. It absolutely is. And well, as, at least as it's leaders, it's what how we're do you set the right mindset? Yeah. Right, and, and I'm, I go I'm back seeing to... that come through from guest after guest. Because if we think this certain way, we'll just keep getting what we've always got, which is no longer technically valid in the world we live in because
1: it's changing. Mm-hmm. And it's changing at an incredible rapid pace. And that's the, that's the scariest thing, right? I mean, you know, hmm. a few years ago, we had the Amy Institute labeled as second, I believe, in the world for Uh, artificial intelligence and so on and so forth now it kind of sounds like we slipped maybe to three in the world Uh, I I don't know the full stats so Amy please don't the world, three in the world is still a respectable position Uh, yeah Uh, let's (laughs) let's be honest three is a very respectable position the question is how do you hold it yes right it's one thing to be three today and what are you getting because of that because that's great you've got a ranking but
0: so therefore what's changing because of that ranking right
1: and how fast are others coming for your breakfast yes back to the competitive advantage conversation so if I'm now... Who's J- waking up trying to take you out? <laughs> so if I'm now Japan and I'm releasing a $108 billion fund, what do you think that fund's going to do? And how fast can you think, do you think you can get people up to speed when truly financial commitments yes. are of a you know, $500,000 a year PhD uh, AI mathematician being deployed... That guy's gonna be like, I'm moving to Japan tomorrow. 100%. Right? Cost of living is fifty thousand USD or seventy-five thousand yeah. USD. I don't know what. And it all is, those other
0: criteria you laid out about the opportunity to create, the opportunity to influence, the opportunity to work on work on cool, cool stuff. Fun. Let's just call it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it
1: is, right? It's I want to work on cool stuff. So if somebody's willing to pay me a massive amount of money, because because money's not a a challenge, because money is not the barrier. Right. Then what are they gonna do? And how how fast are they gonna leapfrog into where we thought we advanced today. Yeah. Right? Like I remember going down to the Valley and, um, and I, I know people hate calling it the Valley, but uh, going down to San Francisco, but we example. all, we all know what you mean when you say that though. Right. So, so going down there um, years ago, uh, five years ago and looking at, you know, um, uh, IOT, IIoT, mm-hmm. RPA and all these things and so on and so forth. And, and ultimately the, like five years ago, they're like, oh, we're done with IOT. Like that was, that was two years ago for us. Like we don't even care. Like that's been there, done that, we're moving forward. And all of a sudden in in Canada, it's like, oh my God, we're all deploying IoT sensors on our wellheads. Okay, great. Yes, we
0: should be, but it's not newsworthy. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that's so interesting. Right, yeah.
1: Unless you're going to buy 50,000 units and you're going to deploy them tomorrow without the knowing of what I'm ultimately going to get out of them, but with the the suspicion of, I I think I'm going to get this. And just going on that, but the budget's not there, right? Because we're always talking about, no, I need to produce yet onto another well. Yeah, we have the which is money. Which like $8 million we, just don't AFE.
0: we just don't, yeah.
1: Like, and arguably- What can a tech company do with $8 million? Right. Just thinking about that, right? What could a tech company Versus do- Versus your $200,000, just let's rock and roll. We got the world by the tail. <laughs> now, what could that innovation group do with $8 million? Could they potentially give you a solution or a set of solutions that will give you a much higher uh, potential of the uh, de- exploration component and drawing a better well? But right? the
0: argument is one feels one is riskier, quote unquote, than the other one. Because the right. other one we've
1: done before. So it's, it's therefore less risky. The, but just doing it is the risk. Right. And the, and the most advanced and technologically savvy oil and gas company in the world will ultimately be Amazon. <laughs> when is Amazon your competitor almost always now. Right? So I mean I mean think about it from a perspective of we saw a lot of our data on Amazon. They've got incredible machine learning algorithms yes, they do. and AI, right? They can probably predict better than anybody else in that asset or that playing field yes. where they can actually go and produce a better uh, a better world than you. Right? That's, so, that's 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 powerful and scary all the same so, time. If I now go back and I say, okay, so how much how much money in cash does Bezos and the other groups have, right? So, what's truly the cost of deployment of you know twenty billion for Amazon um, out of their trillion plus valuation? Right. What's twenty billion to acquire um, one of the ma- uh, one of the majors and then streamline U- that organization using their complete different way of thinking? Yes. Right. Because they're looking at a first mile, not a last mile. Hmm. Right? We keep looking at last mile. We keep looking at how am I going to make that last piece better? But they're saying complete overhaul, complete change, process is here. We jump from
0: here and this is where we start. We start By at the, the time we get to the last mile, so many things would have changed that we're going to have upticks all over the place. Oh, that's so interesting.
1: Right. So it's a, it's a yeah. different mind shift change. It's right? a huge mind shift. And we're not ready for that. We're ultimately not ready to remove the stigma of a 30-year, I've done it this way yeah. and performed this way. And I can metric around it this way.
0: And our biggest disadvantage is that it's, it worked really well for 30-odd years, up to a couple of years ago. But now what? Nothing creates complacency like success. <laughs> I, <laughs> throw that absolutely. out. Absolutely. But I love what, it, you know, what gets me excited is it's only mindset. We have all the other tools. We have the capital. We have the intelligence. We have the, the environment. It's just the mind. It's just, <laughs> just the mindset, which is everything. <laughs> but it doesn't feel insurmountable when you put it that way. It is. It is but, but it arguably is the done. hardest thing to shift. Absolutely. If we don't have money, that's real. If we don't have smart people, that's real. If we don't yeah. have an environment that's conducive to this type of, you know, uh, so, sorry, a regulatory environment that allows us to do some things, because that plays a factor. Of but, course. Uh, you know, if we had all those, okay, those are obstacles we can go tackle them. But the mind shift, the mind space one, is a hard one to tackle.
1: Yeah. Because it's, it, it's almost it's one mind at a time, but you know, you, and you're also sitting in an environment where you're saying the following: Okay, I've got a young generational workforce, and it was it was actually quite scary because I was in I was in North Dakota at University of North Dakota. Okay, at their petroleum um, uh, petroleum accreditation yearly um, get together of all the firms that actually support that accreditation. Okay. And um, I was invited to the roundtable because we were talking about emerging technologies and how the young generation is actually now looking at emerging tech to be deployed in their hands on a day-to-day basis prior to going on into the the field side, right? So it's like, well, that's actually a a, a very fair statement from them, right? I mean, if I'm using an iPhone all day or a Galaxy phone or whatever it is, and I'm used to that, that's my interaction. That's my interface. Yes. Why would I ever want to go to a pen and paper? Most. Most of them, probably in twenty years from now, won't even have calligraphy skills to the extent of being able to manage that. Not to be, you know, not to be rude about it, but but ultimately, no, no, but it's it's all a computer based environment, right? Culturally, that's where we're headed in terms of how we interact with our devices. We expect it to be everywhere, exactly, and we expect it to do the things that we already thought of it to be done, right? Yes. So the expectation of the level of the way it sh- I just think it should be like that way. Yeah, that's, it's just going to exponentially continue. So yeah. They're sitting there and they're saying, we only had two registrants. From a from a course base that used to have over 100 um, students come through a year, they had two. And one of the guys that was uh, from uh, Slumberjay was sitting there saying, I would hire in North Dakota right now 30 of your students tomorrow if you had them. And they went through and they said, well, why aren't the kids doing it? And they what's, said, what's their the parents, their parents are saying... You know what? It's been such a volatile life for us that we don't want you to go through it. So if I we, can we help want you,
0: oh, interesting.
1: if I can help you think differently of somewhere else where you can go, then what happens? You've got a shift of, of a population shift that says, I'm not going to do this because my parents, he breaks the gen- that generational me. cycle, right? Right. It, it's kind of like the farmers, right? Uh, so the, it's exactly the analogy I was thinking. Yes. Yeah absolutely so i don't now, want you to
0: go through what i've gone through i don't want you to work this hard i don't want you to deal with this the weather the yeah absolutely
1: right so interesting but now the group is saying okay well we've got a lot of production we've got a lot of value we know we can produce here for another 100 years easy you can you can push out at least you know if you can push out 100 people a year in a cohort that's fantastic for all of us right so we can do this here in in our in our ecosystem in north dakota but what they're saying is they're coming back and, and ultimately stating, sorry, we're not interested in that because our parents influenced us otherwise. So what's going to happen to that generational shift? And those kids that have been looking for technology to be at their fingertips, right. those that actually do go because they, they personally want to become petroleum engineers or, um, or G&G, geophysics and geo um, uh, geological uh, uh, accreditations, if they come into the workforce and all they get is a is a paper-based process that... Their supervisor, who's been doing it for 30 years this way, says, you want to work for me. This is the way that I do my business. This is how you're going to perform. What did you do? You just crushed that individual's ability to do something. Right. Right? So he or she cannot even actually bring forward any new technology because they don't actually hold a budget. Right. So if they don't hold the budget line item, how can they actually implement technology into their day-to-day? They ultimately can't. Right, so what we've done is we've created frustration, and yeah. And so, why would they? Yeah. Fair soul, why would they go in and do that if they're told clearly they're not going to, and they're not, and they're not. Right. So we're also creating a a gap and a boundary that we're. I don't think we're truly fully aware of. Right. Of how um, well cause and effect. How do
0: we, you know, to extrapolate something far enough out, like conceptually, is challenging. Yeah, because we look what we see and this has always worked so let's just do it that way but what's going to happen in five years when you kind of break this this your supply chain of of new individuals of new talent right. of new people to do it better and evolve it
1: my, my favorite story was it's a classic uh, old way new way mindset. right so so i'm in um west texas oil field um driving with one of the truckers going to a well pad and and checking out a water tank uh level and to say okay well you know, do we need to go and mark it down as an item that needs to come in and get on a milk run and be collected or disposed yep. of, whatever it is? And we get there. Kid you not. We get to the site, and I'm like, okay, so where's the document? So how do you know what was there before and what's here today? So he goes to an upside-down mason jar, unscrews the bottom, takes out the paper, sees who marked what last time, does the level check, Writes it down on the paper, puts it back in the upside down mason jar, closes it, comes back in the truck. and says, okay, yeah, now we're good. Now I know what I need to do for uh, for the next day and is what I need to tell the the dispatcher to do. And I said, but you can't do that on a – on like you could have literally had your phone with you. And you're not in an environment where um, some – I don't know if you've been in the oil field operations side, but there are certain sites that you can't have a phone close enough to a yep, yes, you know, certain range absolutely, and, absolutely, and so yes. on and so forth. right? So I understand that part. But he could have literally come back to the truck and said, "You know, two literally two button click, twelve cubes of whatever, and call it a, call it a day, yeah. and let the phone update all the records and systems and the, everybody else down the street." And actually of what relieved it happened, himself of right? the burden of that information. Actually, absolutely right. So he's like, "Oh no, we don't we don't do it that way. We, we, we would never use that for documentation of field operations." I said. Okay, interesting. I said, but if I could show you ways to do it, would you do it differently? Well, I don't know, change, blah, back blah, Back to blah. change, back to change. Mm-hmm. So we're now in the truck. We're uh, driving back to, to, the, to the shacks. And uh, his wife calls and says, hey, can you, you know, get some pizza on the, on the way home? He goes into his Domino's app and orders and literally goes in and selects different toppings and customizes his pizza in a Domino's app in front of me that's a good on story. a samsung on a samsung phone all touchscreen but yet yep. tells me that he can't put in two numbers in a digital field ticket to manage that entire process in a new way that is that's wow the psychology Unreal. of that or the Unreal. Th- that is real that's a that's a good story so
0: so how do we wow <laughs> i don't even know where to, to take <laughs> that one apart that's a great example so Talk about mindset is... and beliefs. Not nothing to do with oh, capabilities or capacity. I can Nothing do that to there. do with capabilities. Nothing. Zero. Zero. Hundred percent capable. Clearly demonstrated capability <laughs> in front of you, me. You've demonstrated your expertise in this managing this <laughs> device.
1: And you arguably in a more complex purchase. In a exactly. more complex purchase. And you also had to add in your credit card and you had to add in, right? Like all of a sudden, the amount of information that needs to flow into that app to perform that transaction, probably all while he was driving as well, but let's not no, get into it. Let's no, not no, get no, no. Actually, no, HSC, HSC is, a, is a huge cultural component. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, awesome. definitely that, that wasn't the case. I can guarantee that, but I can tell you that it was mm-hmm. yeah. it was absolutely mind-blowing to watch that in front of me and to say, Wow. The difference is that a younger
0: individual, I'm going to be bold, would expect the same service and would be frustrated beyond the belief that they can order their pizza because that's what we've been trained. Yeah. You know, my five-year-old niece who can use an iPad and swipe through is going to go, piece of paper and look at you like you're insane.
1: Yeah. And she's in in
0: the job force in in 15 years.
1: And then you want me to take that and double data entry it somewhere and fat finger it or write it, scribble it down on a piece of paper somewhere that might or might not make it out of that truck. Like that, it's on Phantom and, j- like, and, j- and go into a basket and we did some
0: work with a little sidebar but I want to give them a little bit of a shout out uh, Technica Mining out of Sudbury okay. they're a mining contractor about 750 staff work on working in the major mining projects and they came to us a couple years ago to help with a branding exercise <clears throat> for wanting to automate using some intelligence around their safety tools Yeah, because they're like no one's filling out the sheets the next shift is coming on site they're frustrated they don't know what's going on there's no disconnect so they were doing this software um, implementation we helped them some branding and some messaging and they kind of went away and they came back uh, recently to help with some more and, but they said wow the, it, it has been an astronomical impact on not only our, is, is safety they had a good safety record because in their world it's, it's a make or break every uh, day. absolutely it's it is, a yeah. zero safety incidents Yeah. but they said the secondary benefit which they kind of knew was going to happen but culturally the connection between their guys the guy who was down hole before yeah. he's now leaving so now every single individual is being issued an iPad that they use on site down in the pit uh, in all their different iterations. And sometimes there's connectivity because a lot of the mines are, are Wi Fi enabled. Sometimes it's not to service, but everything's entered. So they come out of the shift. Now they're done. Their shift is over and they're done within five minutes. And yeah, it's synchronized an back hour. to the cloud and they're done. And like he said, the cultural shift, even in the short term from the early adopters, because they test piloted, he said it was just. Ca- just monumental how much now people that were almost, there was friction between each other because feeling like you were setting the next guy up for failure, immediately gone. Taking pictures of there's an incident. So you come on board feeling like, ah, I know exactly what's going on. They said the cultural impact on terms of just the, the job, like happiness on, on the site has improved. He said, you can't even measure it. He goes, we're going to. But, you know, we started off yeah. with safety and, and demonstrating as a value prop to the op, to the mine owners that we were going to be a safer operator. But culturally, it changed our whole way of working. It's such so, a great story for me. So
1: that's a, that's a fundamental component. It's, when we talk about blockchain, we talk about trust and building mm-hmm. new trust models between a buyer and a seller, right? Of, a, of something, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a way you perform something, uh, whether it's an asset, right. whatever that might be. And um, so one of the first undertakings that actually we're building at TerraHub, but a quick shout out on, on that side, yes. is actually a digital credential uh, system that the moment you take a course, whether it's with Energy Safety Canada, whether it's with uh, Alberta Construction Safety Association, yes. Bow Valley College, which, is, which has been a phenomenal partner for us in what we're doing, you get that digital credential and you get to manage it as an individual, because I've, chatted, we're talking about I've chatted the new, with them
0: about this exact same thing. How right, do you so know you're qualified to be in this environment, to work on this machine, right. and how is that universally uh, known information?
1: But further to that, we're now getting into an era where you get to own your own data. Because, I mean, look at what happens with GDPR in Europe yes, right. and what happens with the new data privacy laws in Canada. Yes. right. We're just going to find out in the next few months what are the actual um, financial implications for data breaches from this point forward um, against companies that, or or individuals that choose to ask a company, if you and I no longer doing business together, I'm requesting you to delete certain information about me that you do not need on a, say, a T4 statement slip or anything like that. Because it's my right to have my information in my wallet, that I can share with you for a defined period of time. But who owns it? And own, who owns I own, it? I own it, right? I own it. So what we're doing is we're saying, perfect use case of blockchain. I, as an individual, request a validation from the uh, from the institute that certified me for that specific job, bear awareness, health and safety, mm-hmm. H2S alive, whatever that might be. I get them to certify me and say, yes, you actually have that credential. It expires in, I don't know, lapse time, two years, or whatever that might be. And now I can share that with my employer and show them, that I'm, show them that I'm actually allowed to be on that site because I meet all the creds. And they can 100% trust that that data is accurate. Because it actually comes from a trusted entity that's validated it on the blockchain network in this private environment. And I share it out. But once you and I are done that job, like once that mining group has done that specific yes. project, yep. when they walk away, all those people can actually revoke their
0: Just reach information. Just in reach in and
1: literally pull it all back. Mm-hmm. Right. All they literally have to do is click revoke and it all comes back into their wallet. And even that is all traced to show who you showed it with, when you revoked it, who had access to it. And nobody can go muddle with it. Right. So we're actually using Amazon's uh, facial recognition technology okay. to say as a two-factor authentication. that This is me. Mm-hmm. This is actually me when I'm, when I'm pushing or revoking or doing a, uh, something significant that will actually lock that information in an immutable fashion. But ultimately what that does is it actually removes the, the challenge off of the employer of having, to, yeah. of having to manage and own that data set. Back and then to- prove to me that they were able to remove that data set in an auditable fashion, off of their, uh, off of their databases. Right. So, what we're saying is that, ultimately, there's new value propositions that we need to understand because we're being exposed to them, whether we like them or not. Right. And this Data Privacy Act is an incredibly powerful um, uh, new law that's been passed that we don't actually understand yet all the ramifications of it. Right. It is it's unreal. Like I was uh, so talking about Tech Canada. Yes. Shout out to Tech Canada yep. for absolutely um, for having us as uh, for you as being a member and for me as being a speaker on there. But um, I was in uh, Yorkton, um, Saskatchewan, okay. uh, last week, and I was working with the tech uh, with one of the tech groups there roundtables, and one of the gentlemen in there said. I'm actually not as worried about the data set component as much as I'm thinking about what's my cost from a third-party auditor, one of the big fours, right. to come in, and they're a significant size uh, uh, company, actually, in the tens of millions of annual recurring revenue. And he said, what's my cost of an auditor coming in to create a process that shows I've removed somebody's data set that in itself is auditable by the next auditor coming in.
0: Versus doing it with
1: a... Versus doing it with a a simple app where I'm putting all the owners, in a sense, back on the owner of that data set to say, hey, if you're the owner of that credential, you get to share, revoke whenever you see its fit. But for the duration of the time that we're there, it's even better. So one of the oil and gas companies we're working with right now... It's interesting. ...is saying, actually, the hands-on shovels because of I don't have to pull everybody back at a shift change or anything like that to see who's on my side, who I now own responsibility over and so on yeah. and so forth. My time on shovel is increasing tenfold. Yes. Back to the
0: efficiency, back to the invoice conversation about 12 hours versus four hours versus yeah. instantaneous.
1: It's all I'm doing is I'm passing on to say, hey, you're coming on next on shift and you're supervising all the guys that are on this site. No problem. Here you go. It's a quick pass on. Yep. Say, here's your iPad. here's the yeah. 800 guys that are in a, are in a turnaround process, and the system red flag. The system does all
0: the thinking for you. So, the, talk about getting back to efficiencies and getting more value out of that hour, that day, or however That's you want right. to measure it, yeah. using technology to 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 to. So, what that. will that
1: do to the morale? Right. Yes. When we we just talked about that. Yeah. Right. How do you actually measure the morale of? Oh man, I dread the fact that I'm coming into a shift change, and I now got to make sure every guy comes back in. I revalidate, resert. Get them back out again. Well, why do I, why it, do I have to do this every morning?
0: And the individual keeping track of all those tickets. and right. it, it, Yeah, make it easy. Like if so I'm, I can get back to doing the thing I'm here to do.
1: Right. So if I'm talking about like going back to the, to the Nenshi and construction site component, yes. right? Why would that site supervisor have to every day check the same guy's credentials every day to make sure it's not expired or not? Right. Why shouldn't he already know for the duration of the project that these 18 guys are allowed to be on site? And that they can perform their specific jobs, and what does that do in a post-construction audit? Well, it's,
0: it's like it's done, yeah. right? You don't, you therefore don't even need to do the audit because it, anything would already be flagged. Yeah, I'm, I'm falling down the path. <laughs> so it's again, incredible. back to just the mindset of going. It's actually more risky not to make to do these things than it is to sit back. That and go, is such Ooh. a good
1: way of putting it, yeah. and that's where we need to find a way to to. Um, to change that mindset to allow them to know that if you don't do it, you're actually at further peril of spending more money on a job that should have never been looked at again.
0: Right. Spending all that time in the wrong places like just to move kind of paper around, really. Right. Automate it. So back to that conversation about technology, taking jobs, adding like oh the fear of all that. It's actually at the end of the day, letting people to spend more time doing the things that people are the best at doing.
1: So if I could let you get on site, perform your job at the same pace that you do today, but I'm giving you the opportunity to get there faster. If I now exponential if I put that exponentially over a period of six, nine, twelve, eighteen months. Times X amount of people. Times X amount of people, the efficiency of it is actually incredible. What does that do to the budget line of a project?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Right.
1: And all I'm doing is the is the as a general contractor, I'm building trust with the with the pool of capital holder. Yes. To say this is why I am going to perform at a much better pace than everybody else and at the same rate that I was charging you today. So ultimately on my end, my my revenue, my profits are actually a lot higher, my profit margins yep. are higher because I can perform that job better. Yes. With the same number and of And with people. that confidence, what am I gonna do as the investor? I'm gonna do more projects. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> there's the
0: big wheel of how we create transformation that then drives true economic benefit right and, if, and if, if if I've got competence and it's working and I'm getting my return and I'm getting it predictably in a safe way well I'm going to keep I'm going to keep deploying so
1: Absolutely. now if I can gain efficiencies at the field level perspective would I not be incentivized to hire more guys to perform that job faster yes because I have another job lined up not more guys to do the same work inefficiently exactly back to that argument so, it's, so it's, what an incredible journey to kind of go through from why technology That was an interesting circle we took all the way around. Right? Absolutely. Why it's incredible to have the technology really be applied and deployed in that first mile environment, not the last mile. And what is that change management and the mindset and the why would I want to do this today? Yes. Why is that so critical to where we need to be as, a, as an economy, ultimately, and even as, as Calgary? And how are we going to get there?
0: Right. It starts with a change of beliefs. Right. Which is easy to say and hard to do.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But this is, you know, I look, at, I look at what we set out to do as Terra Hub and, and ultimately as a company, we're looking at, you know, our model's been to educate, ideate, and prototype to show people the value of something, in a, in a and we do this typically in a four to six week process, which is very fast. Like that's a... That is, you know, yeah. That is, but that's the speed of the world we live in. But that's... That's
0: exactly
1: it. We have right? to change like, it.
0: That's not fast. It's no. what it needs to be. But it's no, not demeaning that for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely I'm just agree. trying
1: to change my lingo even in this conversation. Right. So so ultimately what we're saying is if I've now prototyped in 6 weeks over a period of an entire year, if I've now prototyped 10 times, right, back to the back to the cakes. <laughs> back to the cakes, yeah. right? But all I've done is within a 1-year window, I've been able to perform 10 potential Opportunities and picked out of one of them the strongest one that I can then push forward. And ultimately, that's what we did at TerraHub, right? We went yes. last year and we said, how do we actually deploy this educate ID8 prototype over, and, and I believe we we educated over 1,600 people last year to kind of give you an idea well, of the scale. And that's how you change mindset. That's right. how you change police. Mm-hmm. And, you know, biggest evangelist is this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I am, I'm the guy that will go out there and, and continue telling that story and, and shaping it for different industries to understand why and how it fits. But ultimately this year, that's what led us to actually start creating product because we recognize that we found some product suites yeah. that we know are going to be scalable.
0: Yes, that can actually address a true problem and then through right. innovation, create actual change down there. And
1: way. the difference is I'm um, hiring local, Because we're giving them something fun and exciting and new to work on, using emerging technologies that can then be deployed back into uh, into our ecosystem, right? So I'm also I'm I'm eating my own cooking, right? Like I'm yes I'm ultimately here and I'm saying I hear that loud and clear. um, I got I got to be here and I got to do something for this province. I mean, I'm ultimately I look at uh, you know uh, our team, we're tech entrepreneurs. What does that ultimately mean for us? We can get up and do this anywhere we right. want. You're, cho- you're choosing to I'm do it. I'm choosing here. to do it here, and I'm choosing to do it locally. And I'm looking at how do we deploy this concept of what we coined as industrial blockchain okay. um, into this ecosystem because it's it, it's an it's needed.
0: Well, it feels like the natural environment, based on how it all functions, for this to take place. Absolutely. Like back to that, we have all the right p- p- ingredients to the cake. We just need the brief right. to start making cake. So
1: now we're going out and raising capital. So we're doing our first round of of capital raise right now. Okay, right on. And it's and it's been quite interesting because I look at out of the the first uh, trench that we're looking to raise. I actually have, and I've pitched a lot of the uh, a lot of the VCs and uh, and. Um, uh, high net worth uh, angel investors here in town. And I probably have about 60% of it, uh, at least on a soft commit of saying, yeah, we're going to do it here. So So there is some openness to that. So I would love to see how can I raise the full trench here, here without having to go bring outside money in without having to go bring uh, even Toronto money or Vancouver money. Ah, Okay. Right. So I'm saying, I really want to see, can I raise it? Let us really take ownership over our, our, over our own success models. Right. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm doing as much as I can, as humanly possible, ultimately, if you want to put it this way, to say, how do we employ here, raise here, deploy here, and how do we then show the value proposition of this technology in our own backyard?
0: Right. And and kudos to you because you're doing it. Because there's a thing to talk about it and talk yeah. about other people doing it, but you're living it yourself. I'm, I've, the practice. Leading, the, leading by example isn't the best way. It's the only way. There's all those cliches. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, if someone wants to reach out and get a hold of you, what's the, like, I, I'm blown away by our conversation today. I hope, <laughs> I hope some of the audience are. I believe they will be. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Mm. Uh,
1: dan at uh, terahub.ca. Okay. And... Um, just, yeah, or come onto the website or go st- info. St- at sorry, st- I'm sure we can stalk you on LinkedIn as well. You, you can definitely stalk me on LinkedIn. If you can spell my last name, you can stalk me on LinkedIn That's, a good, that's a good point. Well, I started <laughs> Dan G
0: and I, I got it. I'm going to give you a hard time, but you got to get a photo up you're oh, a good looking dude get, awesome. a, get a photo up on there because there's always <laughs> you know talking about telling our story I think in Calgary one thing we do very poorly is tell our story because yeah. we've got a lot
1: of positive things going on so well, we do. thank you for coming on today and, this tell, was fantastic. and telling your thank story thank you for this uh, <laughs> great conversation and this honestly felt like a good fire chat conversation which is fantastic that's exactly what yeah. I go
0: for and thank you because selfishly I get to learn so much from this and today you got really <laughs> thinking a couple new a new ways of
1: thinking and that's, that's the I think that's the biggest gift you can give someone when you leave the room that's so. awesome well thank you so much I appreciate Dan. that thank you very much fantastic i you.